0: Hello there everyone and welcome back to the podcast and YouTube channel with no intro. (laughs) I figure if I keep saying this every day it's going to help to motivate me to actually do the intro. (laughs) I mean part of the part of the issue is that I don't know what to say um, because it's like you know okay now if I say it it's going to be always the thing that I say and like that's just that's a big Commitment, you know, <laughs> and so, um, and and also partially is because I'm just very busy, <laughs> so I just, you know, for all of you who may not understand this, uh, I just want to kind of key you in on on what life is really like for your your guy Art Burns here. Um, so my wife works a full time job uh, outside the house, right? She works in retail, you know, so she's in a big store all the time. Um, and uh, and my two children are homeschooled. Okay, now my children started homeschooling when my wife did not work in retail and when I owned when we together owned a cafe but I was the one who worked about 90 hours a week at the cafe and she was home with the kids all day every day you know helping to homeschool them and and do all that kind of stuff right well the last few years along with COVID and other various uh, life circumstances have resulted in a much different picture right the reason I tell you this is because like the second I I hit stop on these videos, right? Well, it's not true. The second I have to type up the little description and link everything and download everything and save everything, it's about a half hour process after I record. So, so an hour a day is what I do. This basically. But the point is that as soon as that hour is up, <laughs> right? I have to go make lunch, I have to go check uh, math, I have to give uh, spelling words, I have to do all this stuff. So, um <laughs> so understand when I say like, you know, like the the propagation of the plant, I owe, you know, you know who you are AC, who's getting the thing, who 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 is the the lucky recipient of my propagation and it's going to go out as soon as I can. But when I say things like the plant or like the intro, please understand I'm not just being flaky. Okay. Um, um you know, because of course also <clears throat> this hour that I use to record these videos and podcasts is only just one part of my day. Typically I'll have, you know, between three and five client meetings also, each one of those lasting 45 to uh, 45 minutes to an hour. And so, yeah, so, so your guy here is busy and, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's always being pulled in lots of different directions, which, you know, yes, it makes it hard to make changes, and, and that's okay, right? But but it is also, because it's okay, it, it's a, or, or not because, but but it's okay is because of the fact that this is also an opportunity for me to practice, right? So when people ask me, like, well, how much practice do you do every day? I was like, I, I tell them, I don't know, because it's all day, every day that I'm practicing, and this is the way we can sort of approach our practice. You can too, right? It's it's about allowing life to be the curriculum, as John Kabat Zinn tells us, right? That life provides us the opportunities to learn through the practice of mindfulness and compassion and self-compassion, right? So so when I have a day like today where I have five meetings and I have, you know, this recording I got to do and my my wife, you know, she's gone all day and, and my, you know, everything comes, you know, it, it it can get very, very hectic, right? And so in those moments, my only job is to breathe come back into the present moment remember that i can only do what i can do and i can't let my children starve so if i'm a few minutes late to a meeting or if or if things you know whatever if i don't get to do all of the things i set out to do every day it's okay right it's got to be okay and it's got to be accepted right it's got and it also has to be accepted that the stress is going to run high. I mean, it, there's no way around it, right? Nobody can live this life without any moments of stress. And believe me, my moments of stress have become much, much less, right? Because stress is a transaction, right? Stress is when we feel that the thing happening out there is overwhelming what we have in here, then we're going to feel stress, right? And so, so because I've, I've, you know, kind of built up my resources, and and that we do through practice the stress is less and less or less often, but it still happens. I mean, there's still times where it's like, oh my gosh, this is hard, right? And that is the moment where I can practice. I can practice mindfulness, I can practice self-compassion, and I can bring myself back to a, a place of manageability, right? To a place of regulation, to a place where I can continue to function even in the face of the stress and the difficulty, right, so self-compassion, let's use this segue, you know me, I'm a a segue maven over here. Um, The the idea of self-compassion is really, I mean, you hear me talk about it all the time, and yes, I am running a program that's going to start next week, uh, hopefully next week, if not the week after. Again, I'm busy uh, trying to work it out, but it's an important program, and I really kind of, I almost want to like say, you know, this is the most important thing I can do because seriously, self-compassion is something that literally, like (laughs) like the old saying goes, it's good for what ails you, you know, it really is. Like there's almost no part of the struggles that I've ever experienced in my life or or I have ever witnessed in other people's lives, right? There's almost no set of circumstances, no difficulty in our moment-to-moment experience that cannot be addressed by practicing mindfulness and self-compassion. And, and when I say self-compassion, I really don't like that word, right? Because that that creates a distinction between self and other that doesn't really exist, right? Like that's not a true distinction. It's actually phony baloney, you know, that we are all, because the point is that, that, yes, I have my body and yes, you have your body and and your body does what your body does and my body does what it does, right? But but the reality is that, that when you feel a trigger, right? When you feel the emotion of shame, for instance, right? I know what the emotion of shame feels like because I have felt that emotion too. That emotion does not belong to you. Yes, your body will process that emotion differently perhaps than my body will, and to a certain extent, we'll never even know that about each other, right? Because it's impossible for you to really get inside my body and feel what it is, and me, you, right? But we can communicate around this common experience of the emotion of shame or any emotion in the wide spectrum of emotions that we feel all the time as human beings, right? So the point is that this idea of self and other. Is really delusory, right? There's actually there's an Einstein quote that I just posted to Facebook this morning and Instagram because it's just so powerful that that Einstein talks about this and he says that this idea of separation is a delusion right? Not an illusion, but a delusion is the word he said, which was actually misquoted in Eckhart Tolle's book, which I'm going to write him a letter. (laughs) Probably not because I'm busy, as I told you. But anyway, somebody should write him a letter because he misquoted Einstein, and that's something you shouldn't do. (laughs) He is German, Eckhart Tolle is, and maybe his uh, editor is in Germany too, so maybe they didn't catch the difference. But illusion is something that you're, you know, kind of just misreading, right? But a delusion... In, in, the, in the world of psychology, it's known as a psychic, um, uh, <clears throat> what do they call it? Anyway, there's an intention behind it, right? It's, it's, a, it's an active process, right? And that's what happens, right? We believe the way, you know, the world is in our minds, that, that we're separate from each other, right? And that becomes like an active belief and a belief which we act upon. And it's just not real, right? And so, so therefore, <clears throat> I like to call it compassion, right? In which we include ourselves and others, okay? I know it's a long way to kind of make that disclaimer, but that's what I feel. Oh, um, and there you go. There you have it. Um, <clears throat> so, so let's talk about what I want to talk about today in the six minutes we have left in this segment. Maybe we'll cheat the, 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 boundaries a little bit, but this is not a very long topic anyway. The the topic I want to talk about is how self-compassion helps with trauma work, okay? And this is really, really important, right? So, when we're born, <clears throat> right, and as our brains develop, and, and this is one of the first things that develops in our brains, right, which is the, and it's not just in our brains, as I understand it, it's, it's in our whole nervous system, but it's a, a, a structural thing in the brain, right? And this thing that I'm talking about is referred to as our attachment system, right? So you literally have a, a means by which your brain and your nervous system is reaching out and needing to get a secure attachment from someone, right? And whoever that someone is becomes your caregiver, right? So if that happens to be a grandmother or an aunt or a mother or uh, an adopted uh, mother or uh, a a person in a facility like an orphanage or or a a home of some sort, right? That's the person who the attachment is going to try to be made with right now of course this attachment it starts when we're basically like a couple of months old right maybe even immediately i'd have to look that up but but it certainly continues on right it's not something that just happens in like the first few weeks of life and then it goes away this attachment system is is something that that needs to be nourished and needs to be sort of exercised in a way right as we continue to develop right and the problem now is that when we experience trauma as a child, specifically, sp- very specifically, trauma at the hands of a caregiver, or trauma as the result of abuse at the hands of a caregiver, <clears throat> what happens then is this, this attachment system, you know, without getting into technical uh, jargon here, the attachment system is screwed up, right? <laughs> like, that's the thing, like, it doesn't work properly right? And, and as a result of the trauma and the abuse, okay? And so what this means is that we grow up, and I say we because this is me, and I know a couple of you out there for sure, but, you know, perhaps many of you, right? We go through our lives with this sort of you know, broken system, if you will, right? And what happens then is that that attachment system, right, as we, as we grow to, to become more attached to our caregiver, right, that enables us to feel a sense of safety <clears throat> and then allows us to connect to the world around us, right, in that sort of vulnerability. We know that we can sort of, you know, venture off into a scary, unknown place because we can always come back to that safety of our caregiver, right? Because we have that connection to them, right? And this is something we carry throughout our lives, right? And so, I mean, of course, it changes as we become adults and we mature and everything like that, but but really it's still there, right, on some level. And so, so the idea then is that, as we as we go through our young you know developmental years and and we and develop with this this um, uh, attachment system, if it's intact, right? And if it's working properly, then what that does is that leads us to be able to establish trust and 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 also to to open up to vulnerability, right? It allows us to open ourselves up to connect to others because we're not afraid, because again, we have this this beautiful safety to come back to of this attached relationship, right, with a caregiver. Now, not attachment in the Buddhist sense. We can get very confused there. I'm talking about just a physical, neurological, empathic connection that we have, right? And so when that, that system is not working properly, well, then we're afraid to open up, Right in order to connect to somebody we must open up and be vulnerable. It's the only way it works, right? And so so because the system by which we learned to open up and to and to experience people on that connected level because that's broken for people like us we can't build those connections. And that's why frequently, you know, one of the most common things you hear about people who suffer trauma as, as young children, they, they're unable to really have true friendships or, or true relationships. And I can attest to that. Like, that is true. At least it is for me. Right. And and so, and so, so the point is then, I mean, so what do we do? Do we say, okay, well, I'm destined to be alone for my whole life and, you know, thanks, mom, thanks, dad kind of thing? Well, no, that's not, that's not the case at all. In fact, there are very sort of, I mean, very powerful and very sort of simple ways that we can practice establishing now we're never going to build that that attachment system back up again right that's kind of a train that's left the station in a way right but what we can do is we can open ourselves up to connection and we can learn to build that connection with others, okay? In effect, we're reestablishing a certain attachment, but of course, it's not to our caregiver anymore because, you know, my caregivers are in their almost 80s. (laughs) You know, they're not very good for me right now. They're not gonna do anything for me, right? Not any way that they can help me, right? But connecting to friends, connecting to Peers, connecting to coworkers, connecting to my children, connecting to myself are still ways in which I can, I can again, not going to rebuild that attachment system, but I can functionally make something happen that's very similar, right? That, that at least allows me in the here and now to again connect to myself. And then with that connection to myself, with that secure connection and attachment that I can build to myself, then I can allow for connection to others to happen, okay? And the best way, or a very, very effective way to to do this, to practice this, and to develop this ability, this this capacity for connection, is through practicing self-compassion. Right, because again, what is the attachment system doing? Right, the attachment system is creating a safe haven for us. Right, so that when times get really rough, and again, this is where it does carry with us throughout our whole lives. Right, because for somebody who had a, a sort of um, neuro um, standard, you know, upbringing, right, they didn't have abuse, they they developed normally and all that. Right, when they have a hard day, right, they they come back and they say, well. It's okay because I've always had this this person in my life, this caregiver in my life, who who instilled me with this idea that I was never alone, right? I was always accompanied by this person, and I could always go back to them. So now, as an adult, I I, I don't get flustered as easily. I don't get overwhelmed as easily because I have that well of of connection that I established throughout my whole childhood, right? For people with with trauma as a result of of, of childhood, young childhood abuse, we feel like we're on our own and, and and that's okay, right? I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. Well, that's not true. It may be true that you don't want anybody, but it's not true that you don't need anybody. Okay, connection to others is good for you. It's good for your mental, your physical, and your emotional self, your health rather, and it will also help you to al- allow you to to reckon with the trauma from that place of self-compassion, from that place of support. Because as I start to say, right, as we grow up with that person in our lives with whom we are securely attached, that becomes a system of support for us, right? And so by by practicing self-compassion, what we do is we build an internal support to replace that support that we never had as children. And this is why almost every expert that I've ever read in all these books about trauma, I mean, there's a lot of books about trauma up there, and in another bookshelf you can't see over there, that, you know, almost all the experts agree that self-compassion and mindfulness, because mindfulness allows us to see the trauma from the here and now, not truth, pardon me, not transporting back to the childhood fear and, and terror, but instead seeing it from the safety of now and doing so with self-compassion, which leads to forgiveness. Because if, remember, you know, one of the reasons why we're so shut off and why we feel like we can do everything ourselves is because when we were children being abused by our caregiver, we had to make a, a horrific choice. And that choice was either saying that this caregiver who's supposed to be the most amazing person, the the one person in the world who's always right, either she is wrong or I am wrong. And we can't choose her because, again, as infants like that would literally cause a psychosis. It would literally make us lose our sanity. So instead, what we do is we say, no, it's me. I'm the one that's the problem and that creates a life of isolation, and that is really unhealthy for you, and it is inhibiting you from living your life the way you deserve to be able to live your life, okay? So as I said, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to um, I'm going to offer this this self-compassion, which always includes mindfulness. It's it's a necessary part of it, right? And we're going to do this for an eight-week program. Now, here's the thing, and I know we're late already. It's 19 minutes here. I have my timer today. 19 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, <laughs> for all of you out there who are either. Current or former clients of mine, or if you're a Patreon supporter, you're going to get entry into this course for a, a steep discount, right? Maybe even free. <laughs> let's let's you know kind of discuss the different uh, you know parameters and stuff like that. Okay, but but I just want you to know that. Okay, so if you are in that group, right, either a current or former client of mine, and or not and but or <laughs> you are a a patron support a patreon supporter. get in touch with me and let me talk to you about how the discount will work, okay? All right, everybody, I'll see you in the next segment um, but but please understand that you are worthy of every little bit of compassion for yourself just like everyone else in the world is is worthy of compassion from you, okay? All right, everybody, I'll see you in the next segment. take care. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the seg- second segment of today's uh, episode. This is uh, Thursday, September 30th, by the way, which means we're one day away from October, which is exciting for me. I love the autumn weather. Uh, I love autumn and spring, not because of the weather so much, but because of the change in the weather. It really... I love that. And I mean, this is the mindfulness teacher talking, right? I mean, because, you know, during these seasons, we can really sort of readily see the changing. But you can see this during summer and winter, too. And so, you know, paying attention to the weather is a great, you know, a great uh, opportunity to practice mindfulness. And presence and just awareness. And so so I invite you to kind of, you know, a lot of times what we do is we wind up, you know, complaining about the weather, right? We say, Oh, it's getting cold. I don't want to miss summertime. I want summer back. Or we say, Oh, thank God, it's it's time for thank goodness, pardon me, it's it's time for pumpkin spice lattes and sweaters. I can't wait. You know. And both of those things, right? Even the positive one, but both of those, what they do is they they distract our attention from being able to really dwell in the present moment and see the changing. Now that doesn't mean you can't enjoy pumpkin spice lattes. I hope you do. And it doesn't mean that you have to love the cold. I don't. I don't expect you to, right? But, but if we can see the pumpkin spice lattes and the chilly air in the in the mornings and, and in the evenings with non-judging awareness, then that opens us up to seeing what is happening with the weather every day and allows us to sort of be present with the changes that are happening. And that, again, is grounding us into the present moment, which is just good for you, right, on many levels, okay? All right, so... Um, so in this episode, you on the uh, on the video here, all the YouTube video uh, viewers here are gonna see me put on my glasses, which for whatever reason QuickTime makes it look like they're crooked, and I I don't know I can't like they're not like <laughs> if I if I record on Zoom they don't look crooked if I record on TikTok on my my phone they don't look crooked whatever QuickTime is doing to this image it's distorting things and so my glasses are not as crooked as they look my face is pretty crooked (laughs) but my glasses are kind of fit properly so you know to accommodate for that but anyway I'm putting on my glasses because I need to check some notes here because um when um you know because this this segment is um is filled with some eh, there's a few facts in here that I want to make sure I get right but but before I go into it I want to first tell you that Um, this, this segment is dedicated in great honor and love to this wonderful woman, Kristen Neff, who wrote this amazing book. Okay. If you haven't had a chance to watch, I I mean, I don't know if I just have a crush on her or what, but, but if you hadn't, haven't had a chance to watch a video of Kristen Neff talking about self-compassion, you owe it to yourself to find a video and, and let her let her explain this to you because she's just got such wisdom and such, you know, yes, she's a scientist and she's a, you know, she's an amazing, um, you know, doctor brain kind of thing, you know, but she's also a, a deeply spiritual person. And, and that combination really comes through in her talks and she, she delivers it with such, such kindness and such grace it comes from the years of practicing this work, right? So I think that's why I'm just drawn to her. And when I say I have a crush on her, I don't really mean that. It's not like a, a crush crush, you know? Uh, I'm not objectifying her, you know? And that that is not what I'm doing, okay? But I just, I think when I say crush, I think I just have such an affinity to her, you know? Just, and, and in a, you know, if anything, in a, like a, what they call sapiosexual, right? It's just like her, her brain that I'm in love with, right? And that's true for a lot of people, not just famous uh, psychologists, but you know, even some of you all. Um, but anyway, um, so so what I want to talk about today is oxytocin. Now, <clears throat> and again, this is from a passage in in Chris and in Dr. Neff's beautiful book on self-compassion. It's called uh, Self-compassion: The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. It was published um quite some time ago. It was like, over 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. Let me look it up real quick here. Pardon me, pardon me. Title page, okay. Uh, 2011, so 10 years ago, this book was published. And even at this point, (laughs) there was already tons of research done and already a lot of understanding of how powerful self-compassion is. And it's only been more so since in the last 10 years. So, It's it's great stuff. But anyway, um, in the book, she talks about oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is a uh, a hormone or a neurotransmitter, I guess. Um, I don't know what you really call it, to be honest with you, but it's a chemical um, that that, that scientists call our sort of internal uh, opiate right that's how it's often referred to right that that we have say a neurotransmitter or a hormone or whatever it is i don't know what you call the chemical because uh, it's not you know just not coming up with that right now but but it's this chemical that happens in your body that just gives you it's a feel-good feeling, right? But, but specifically what oxytocin does is it, is it gives us a sense of sort of like a, a softening and, and, a, and a connectivity, right, in our lives. So, so when, when a mother caresses her child or kisses her child on the, on the forehead, right, oxytocin is released in both the mother and the child, right and and it's that that sort of nurturing chemical that happens in our bodies that and in our brains that, that make us feel like everything's gonna be okay, right? Like it's like we don't feel isolated, we don't feel alone. we feel very connected and we feel we feel nurtured, right and And this again, this happens when, you know, it happens between a mother and, and a daughter or a mother and a child. It also happens anytime we hug each other in the world, right? Like when, when when two people give each other a hug, that oxytocin is released, right? There's many other times in which oxytocin is released, but but that's one of the the, the well known ones is that when it's when we're feeling a level of affection and we're feeling that level when we're connecting to people, then the oxytocin lets us Feel that connection, all right? Now, why is this important, okay? This is important because as I talked about in the last segment, you know, some of us were not as lucky to have a nurturing mother, right? And some of us didn't have that sort of natural, um, you know, the natural release of that oxytocin, right? And so, and so, in a way we've been deprived of that, right? And again, this is something that oxytocin is, is known to, to impact the, the feelings of anxiety and stress and even depression. Like, it's a really, really beneficial thing that happens internally. Right? And again, just like I talked about last in the last segment how the that attachment system that we have, right is is nurtured through the connection that we have to our our caregiver. And that's the time in which the sort of oxytocin valves are sort of primed and, and like, okay, this is how it works. My body knows how to release this stuff every time I need it, right? but for those of us who did not have that kind of connection that that secure attachment well this system of oxytocin doesn't work as well as it could right It's sometimes in fact for a lot of people it might be turned off and and they they hardly ever experience that that good feeling that comes with the the release of oxytocin right and so you now of course there are many other neurotransmitters and hormones that that work in in similar ways and and are you know, guided by different uh, kind of you know uh, triggers and stuff like that, right? But the oxytocin one that we're talking about is again, that's the thing that allows us to nurture ourselves, right, and to soothe ourselves, right. And again, that's very tied into the attachment system that I talked about in the last system, in the last segment. That that when we're growing up in a again a neuro normal and safe and 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 supportive environment that's when we become very adept, or our our brain becomes adept at, at releasing this oxytocin when it's needed, okay? But if we don't have that, then it's hard for us to do that, right? Now, here's the thing, right? And this is really, really, really important, okay? Again, the oxytocin is is released in response to a physical nurturing, right? Now, remember, I told you yesterday. If you if you saw yesterday's uh, um, episode, you might remember that I talked about these really rather disturbing studies that were done many years ago, right? That that they came to the conclusion that if if you have a, a human baby or any primate at all, really, I think any maybe any mammal. Um, if you have a hu- certainly for a human, if you have a human baby who is born and placed into a very safe environment is given the warmth, the food, the uh, liquids, and everything else that it needs, right? Like medically, physically, it's completely taken care of, right? Like 100%. If that baby is not picked up and held, if that baby does not experience the feeling of its skin touching another person's skin that baby will die it's that simple right and so the oxytocin is not released because we know someone loves us it's released by the touch right it's released by by a mother caressing our cheek or 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 a father holding our hand or or even a friend putting a, a an a arm around your shoulder right or, or like, you know, smooth, you know, massaging your shoulders when you're in a, a tense place, right? It's that physical touch that, that allows us to, you know, that, that makes that oxytocin thing happen, right? But now here's the thing, right? Here's the beautiful, amazing thing about our brains, okay? Our brains don't know the difference... Between our mother caressing our cheek and us caress, caressing our own cheek, right? If it's done in in the feeling and the and the the intention of compassion, well, then your brain will respond in the same way as if you were a child with your mother caressing your cheek, right? So right now, right, you can release oxytocin in your brain right now by giving yourself a hug. Right, I know somebody who I I teach meditation to who comes to my my weekly Wednesday evening meditation. And at the end of every meditation, this is what she does. She gives herself a hug and she says, I love you. Right, And this is something I, I try to get a lot of people to do. Because just sitting here right now, just holding myself like this and squeezing myself, my body feels good. I mean, there's like this good feeling that comes from it. And that is the oxytocin in at work, right? And, but that's the thing, right? We don't, e- even if we, we grew up without that secure attachment, and even if we grew up without that natural, you know, sort of naturally triggered or naturally, uh, uh, initiated oxytocin release, right? We can still do it. We can still make it happen. Right. And, and it's very important that we do. Okay. Which is why part of self-compassion is minding the way that we caress ourselves, the way that we comfort ourselves physically. And it might sound weird and it might feel weird when you do it, certainly in public. and there's lots of ways to be sneaky about it, right? Like you can squeeze your own knee. Nobody sees that, right? You can kind of hold one hand inside another and, and kind of give yourself a squeeze. nobody sees that. You could also you know pretend that you're just kind of standing here like this, just listening to somebody but really you're giving yourself a hug. They don't know that. You can, you know, you can do this to your cheek at any time. And it might not seem that obvious. And certainly in the beginning, it feels really awkward, but as you continue to do it, it feels more and more natural and the more natural it feels, the more readily you are doing it, and the more readily you're doing it, the more you're making yourself feel good. The more you're making yourself feel good, the more you're able to soften yourself. And ultimately, what this means is that you can now open yourself to um, to uh, you can open yourself to to more connection. Right. Because, again, just by releasing the oxytocin, your feelings of anxiety and stress, and depression, of, of isolation, all of that starts to, to fade and, and shed. Right. And so as we do this, you know, that's when we can you know, that's when we can feel that that sense of, wow, everything's going to be all right. And if we feel that everything's going to be all right, well, then we feel like we can make a connection to somebody, including ourselves. And as I said in the last segment, this is something that's very, very important for our health, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And not only will it impact your health, but it will also impact the health of everybody around you, physically, mentally, and emotionally. We can talk about that another time because we are out of time 15 minutes right now. How was that, folks? That was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> totally unplanned. That was just my thing. <laughs> All right, folks, In 15 minutes and 10 seconds, I'm going to bid you adieu and tell you that thank you so much for, for checking out my podcast and YouTube channel. It really means the world to me. This couldn't happen without you. And and you are as much a part of this process as I am. And I'm just so grateful for you. All right. So and for that reason, I will be back again tomorrow to record a couple more segments. And I wish you well. And I thank you for your support. And I, I just yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am humbled and I'm honored and I care so much for you. And I hold all of you in my heart until the next time I do another segment. All right, everybody, take care.